dark out there, but God, I can hear you. That's a good thing. You guys all have good fourth of July? Let's see if we hold up your hands. Hold them up. We got one fingers? Yeah, that's right, baby. You guys come on about a job of listening to all the same and same thing. What did you do in your neighborhood? This is what it looks like. Let's see if we're one piece. Uh, there were a couple of uh, exciting moments, a couple of names, names all. Yeah. Uh, wow. I actually would have liked to have been there for a bigger explosion I heard about this morning. But, uh, what do we start out by? Can you help me a little more, more on the main? Especially those of you who are uh, this may be your first time out or second or third, friends and family. Uh, I do want to mention something this morning that I think is really key. It's just kind of thinking through uh, what the songs we did today. We obviously do it around. Uh, this is a typical Sunday church. We did it. Uh, as many of us know, Sunday church is the most segregated day of the week. But take a look around. I don't think that's the case here. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the kingdom being something that would be ushered into all nations. When we see the promise that God made to Abraham back to Genesis 12 and 18, this is what God wants. And uh, I'm really excited to be a part of the church that has that kind of an outward vision and perspective on things. And that a lot of churches raise a lot of money to build buildings. And, and that's a good thing. I think there's something to be said for having a set place. But uh, I, I'd much rather be in the stage that we're in when we see the need to raise those same kinds of dollar amounts. But we send that money overseas, we plant mission teams. And as it stands today, we've got churches in 117 countries worldwide because the sacrifice of men and women like you make want to make sure the gospel gets on out there. Amen? Uh, I don't know if he's here this morning or not, but uh, I do want to thank all of you for your prayers for Justin King's dad. I think uh, many of you may be aware of the dad had a heart attack over the weekend. And in talking to Justin, uh, I believe it was the day after, his dad's come back to our little crack of jokes, back to his old self. So uh, I haven't heard of it today, but uh, please be praying for his speedy recovery and get back plugged in at home. And uh, since that transition, with that too, let's take an opportunity here to go back to prayer. Well, Father, I want to thank you so much for what an incredible God you are, that you would get note of us, that you would create us, that you would want to maintain a relationship with us. And that when it comes to that relationship, the lengths that you would go throughout the world, so that we would have the opportunity to know your son Jesus and the sacrifice that took place at Calvary, so we would have the opportunity to have life with you here now to the full, as well as life for eternity with you in heaven. Well, give us right now, fill me with an extra portion of your spirit, help me to uh, use the scriptures in such a way that it can motivate, inspire, and encourage, at the same time convict us. This is the kind of lifestyle we need to live that's pleasing to you. Every bit is important, the lifestyle that others can look to as being an example, someone that they can see that is not calling people to a commitment that they themselves are not willing to keep. So if we're really trying to, as imperfect as we are, become more and more like Jesus each and every day. Amen. Um, this uh, overview here on the screen behind kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what we've been going through so far uh, in the past five, six weeks. Uh, number one, we have a few following. The steps that it takes to walk in accordance with what God has established. Number two, next steps. Number three, we have 
I'm dealing with fears when it comes to some of the things that we may see out there that really can control our lives, but where God wants us to break free from those chains. Yeah. So we can really enjoy yeah. what That's He's doing us here. The life that He's given us good here. To to it, and knowing that you, it's not you, about what we want, but what God wants for us. Yeah, so He's going to give us that enjoyment now as well as for eternity. Yeah. Brian Craig, I heard that it's not with us, not with Follower. Followers, followers. Aware of his clothing, and uh, one, of, one of the predominant things that he talked about was we have in the book of Galatians, and that we're baptized into Christ, we're clothed in Christ. And really thinking through that and realizing what was going to be an incredible degree of comfort that comes from knowing God so, used us and that's basically after we've been cleansed from our sins. Exactly that's, that's the same the way that he does his son. Right. We become part of that family. Based on our willingness, as the song talked about, to surrender all. Now it's interesting, I was just thinking through that song, uh, very peaceful, very comforting. But when it comes to surrender, is that how we generally feel? And uh, I think to me, it was comforting, you realize that if I truly surrender, the surrender that I felt during that song is the surrender that I have right now in this life, which I'm grateful for. You know, with uh, Jesus, the message this morning, we're going to be taking a look at follow, but when it comes to refined friends. A definition of refined friends there, the portion of the document, especially a contract that contains qualifications or restrictions in fine friends. You know, during the time of Earth, Jesus invited both the religious and the non-believers, irreligious, to his perspective, every one of us here is invited to follow Jesus. It will cost you something eventually to follow Christ. You know, again, I mentioned five friends. Um, it's amazing. I used to be in the auto industry for a number of years, and when I started, this is not an exaggeration. This form was about this long. Needless to say, since 1990 to 2014, it got a little bit longer. And the thing is crazy is the lease agreements are even longer than this. But I, I, I'm just curious. How many of you guys have seen one of these? Uh, that's the third group. It's a it's a form of you tells you what, what, but yeah, what the contract will cover and won't cover. Uh, I knew you're liable for, what you're not liable for, but he continues to assure and then it doubles because it's people have been adding so liabilities. They have talked to liabilities and stuff like that. So we're not going to be responsible for this. We're not responsible for this. We're not responsible for this. So it just keeps adding and adding. A lot of it is that. Work for the aerospace industry. Uh, I'm surprised it's basically the ones that are renting. Slid across the shore floor, the doctor's crowd the office, and the the and I was a finance office, right? My, my, my finance manager knew exactly what was going on. We knew this guy by name. He visited the dealership so often. So, I mean, uh, I'll stay behind you on this one. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, you know, fill yeah. in. 
Five out of ten, he walked out. I was in that office with this guy for three hours, not exaggeration. He read through front and back, had a million questions for me. Uh, eventually, he bought the car, praise God. I wouldn't want to have any interaction with him after that, never did. But anyway, just thinking through the contract, why don't we read it? It's boring. It's very easy to work. You know, especially in this day and age, man. You have Snapchat, Twitter with 140 characters. I mean, the quicker we can do it, the better, right? So we take our door. That does bring me to my next quote. Back to my first quote. Next slide. This is rather interesting. The gentleman by the name of Pete Seeger. Do you know the difference between education and experience? Education is when you read the fine print. Experience is what you get when you don't. I can't even begin to tell you how many people I've had come back to me over the course of the number of years I was in the industry thinking that they had 72 hours to get out of their car. I mean, it got so bad, there's actually a form now that many of you, if you first the last four or five years, you signed that states that you know you can't get out without checking your car unless you pay for a certain amount of insurance on the front side, which is basically the offset that people want the dealership will have if they have to put that car back in the room for his used car. So, fine print could be a, an interesting thing. My quote, and this is mine. The difference between salvation and its alternative, read the red print. You know, the same thing that applies to why we don't read the small print on a contract applies to the same reason we don't read God's Word, the Bible. Takes time, but you find, you know, you, you do what I did as an agnostic back, oh my gosh, how many years ago? Somewhere in the between the 30 and 40 year realm. I remember reading it as a novel, and uh, I, I bogged down in Leviticus, Numbers. I remember getting so far in the answer, what in heaven's name is the significance of this in my life? And I was looking for answers. I was really looking for answers. Needless to say, I got bored. But I didn't see the application. It was too time consuming, and I set it aside. And, and with that, from the age of 13 to 32, I was agnostic. I just couldn't believe that there could be the religion option we have in the world today, all these hypocritical preachers that, you know, are telling me to give and not be oral and, you know, I grew up in the age of the TV evangelists. There was the immorality scandals, there were the money scandals, the million dollar dog houses. I mean, you know, all this stuff that was taking place, so I just really turned me off. But what it did, it ultimately it gave me an excuse not to look at myself. There were those nights, there were those instances where, I, it was, I was sleepless, and then, even as an agnostic, I knew what compromise was like. There were areas of my character where certain things were ingrained from a very early age that I vowed I would never violate, but I did. And it's amazing how compromise leads to just a harder, and much harder and harder heart as life moves on. See, when it comes to five friends, We've got to ask ourselves, and secret God's word, are we willing to take a look? Are we willing to understand that God has plans for us? But with those plans, there's some adherence to guidelines 
borders, garbage, whatever you want to call it, along the way. I know the bottom line for me is there is a huge benefit to following Jesus Christ. But it's got to be about much more than that. Life for Jesus is definitely better. You know, Jesus tells us, calls to an electric beings. And we know that, just looking at some different things, that if we don't obey, it's like building on sand. For those of us, how many, how many of you are out there that have the uh, real estate business? A few realtors in there? A few of you out there. You know, when you're going through your testing and all, and they get into these things about borders and guidelines and property uh, borders, and, you know, it's amazing. On a, if you're on a river, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Because that problem, those property lines can change. That's kind of what happens with sand. You're too close to the water, that house may come down. We obey Christ. It's also going to know that we're building on the right foundation. Uh, Chicago, parts of New York, bedrock. It doesn't matter what goes on the way of earthquakes, because what they're built on, they won't be based in those areas. So there are benefits of following Christ, but that can't be the only reason that we do. Mark 8 through uh, 8, 27 through 38 is going to be our primary text this morning. So I want to give you a little bit of an idea of what was going on during this period of time up to Mark 8. Jesus has been doing what Jesus does. Incredible job of serving people, healing people, seeing needs, meeting needs, hungry people. You know, the, the, the basket of bread and the fish, being able to feed a multitude of 4,000 people. There are a lot of people following Jesus. And this made the religious leaders of today very insecure. They have power, they have authority, they have wealth, they have the best seats of public functions. And all of a sudden you got this, this guy, the people are claiming this king or this messiah or this Christ, and he's not doing any of that. And we know with Jesus, Jesus is even willing to sit down, kneel down before this guy, and show them what it means to be a servant and watch the king. King of kings, God of kings, servants. And so it's incredible to see there was impact through this, but there wasn't necessarily a big impact. The religious leaders wanted him out. Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Syria and Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who the people say I am? Verse 28, we get the answer to that. His cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded and executed for the stance that he took. Letting people know that the, the new king, the Messiah, was coming. He was executed for his faith. And being a man who was not willing to allow things that were fucking uh, God to take place. People talk about it. Well, maybe it was, you know, maybe it's Elijah, one of the prophets. I don't know, Peter jumps on in there. I love the way that uh, people are impulsive. I can get away from time to time. It's uh, not as bad as it was when I was younger. Praise God for that. Just one more thing I can my wife mess with. But with that, Peter plays it on out. You are the Messiah! Totally nailed it. I just knew what was going on. I heard it so it seemed at that point. And you know, just kind of bringing down Christ, defined as the anointed. The Greek of the Hebrew word rendered Messiah. This is the official title of the Lord. 
This is who Jesus Christ is for us today. It didn't take long for uh, you know, Peter to kind of get off course here a little bit. After he lays out what it is that's going to take place here, verse 31, he teaches, he got to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He was openly talking about this, so Peter pulled him aside. He's got this little thing going on with him. Come on, Jesus! Jesus, I'm like, no, seriously, this, is, this, is, this isn't what's going to happen. You're the king of kings. You're going to overthrow everything as we know it. You've come to change things. You've come to make a difference. You're all negative about us right now. Come on, seriously. No way what you're saying can happen. Can we just look at the positives? Isn't that kind of where we are today in so many ways? Got to be all about positive. We got BBC. Can't really think of standing on anything because it may offend somebody. That's what I appreciate about Jesus. Now, I, I would imagine this was a conversation in some ways he would have loved to go along with, knowing what the outcome of his life was. But he was willing to take that stand. In verse 33, turning around, this time it's publicly. Peter pulled him aside. Jesus does it publicly. So the turning around and looking at the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind the Satan. He was not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Jesus rebukes Peter. Is there anything in this one? Yeah, that's kind of harsh. Get behind the Satan? Why, why so harsh? I mean, Jesus was literally drawing a line in his hand here. So Peter was what he was going to need to become. In order for the good news of Jesus Christ to get out there in the way God knew that it would, the way Jesus knew that it would, the plan that God had from the beginning, that all nations would have the opportunity to be saved, to give the good news, to be able to fight for their lives. And he wanted to make a statement. He wanted it to stick. He wanted Peter to live with an understanding of her. Now, Peter, you've been great with the miracles, you've been great at confession, you've been great for a long term to preach and all that. Peter, you've been nothing more than a consumer. When it comes down to what it really is about, it's not problems. You're consuming for entertainment, great food. And I'm sure the fellowship around the campfire night with Jesus is something that must have been absolutely incredible. But Jesus lays it right out here. You're not concerned about God's will. You're not concerned about God's plan. You're not a follower. You're not involved in what you need to be. You're concerned about self. You're concerned about what's yours what you're going to keep, what your life's going to look like, and that's why you made the statements that you made. And ultimately what that means is, with Jesus, Jesus like, fine, Peter, it's time for the black print. These are the details of my kingdom. This is what it means to be a true follower. This is what it means to be a disciple of mine, a disciple of Jesus Christ. As we continue, in a uh, Chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus gets a little bit more specific here. He says, if anyone, so who would this apply to? Reply to everybody sitting here in the auditorium this morning? 
If anyone wants to be my follower, kind of hang out, listen to the message, throw yourself away when it's done, back in your homes, back in your family, Sunday night matinee. Or actually, it wouldn't be a matinee Sunday night, would it? Sunday matinee. He says, no, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You know, I would venture to guess at this point in time, the crowd probably thinned out a little bit. Well, we're not dealing with the freebies anymore. We're not dealing with the meals. We're not dealing with the miracles. We're not dealing with the things that can really be, on the surface, kind of exciting. Jesus lays out, you need to deny self. Amen. You know, the biggest issue about this, or really it's something that some people should excite us, and that, don't we do this from time to time? Parents, you ever deny yourself at all? Any denial in the process of raising a child? You know, maybe drive a band band instead of, you know, maybe somebody else who was selected because you need something to cover the kids around the gear the whole day? Yeah, we, we all know what it means to deny yourself, but we all do that from time to time. You know, dessert comes, you deny yourself. Why you touch that Those are the way you've got to say no to self and yes to Christ. Follow versus consumer. Here's where this is going. And this is where the challenge comes in. Jesus says, pick up your cross. I think the biggest challenge we have in America today, 2,000 and some years since our Savior resurrected, crosses are cool. I had somebody give me a nice cross, a little diet of chicken, seven or eight years ago. It's a cool little piece. It reminds me of the person that gave it to me. You know, we got the cross earrings, the cross necklaces, crosses hanging from our windshield, you know, the Jesus bobblehead on our dash. I mean, there's so many ways that we try to portray Christianity. I think ultimately it's down to just this incredible misunderstanding what the cross is all about. It's not a fine piece of jewelry. It was a horrific way to die. And the thing that amazes me with this, in looking back during that time frame, the Romans knew what they were doing. This is a means of calling people to be submissive to the Roman government. And here we have this King of Kings. He's supposed to rest you. He's up there on the cross too. The pain, the agony, the blood, the smelling. We see that portrayed from time to time in movies, but believe me, it's not it's like having done to you actually experience it done someone you love. Yeah, it's not. It should increase it, but it does not increase anything. I know, oh, it doesn't Jewish. do anything. Leadership, religiosity, mm -hmm. and so we have resurrection. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you know, you can think of and, you know, we can, we can justify, you know, it's, you know, it's just time for me to follow right now. I mean, I don't know if I do this now. What does that mean? My life's going to look like, you know, it's okay. I'll just get a little bit here. I'll come five a little bit here. Just follow me here. And, you know, it's nothing new from the very beginning of time. We saw with Eve in the garden and continues to proliferate through human history. That's I mean, it's really relaxing what we do. We really want to get taught what we should do. 
Instead of the program, I'm going to figure that out. I'm going to start now. Uh, 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 so the reality here is that it's not that you don't believe, or you don't have enough to engage to understand. This goes for all of us. Watch what we eat. Why? Excellent. 
We exercise. Why? So this is because we're trying to have a healthier life, maybe extend our life. So we're willing to design ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a restaurant. And you know, when she comes back, we're done. It's like, I know I'm coming. Get that dessert cart out here. Get the dessert menu out here. And I look, Jackie may correct me on this, but 70% of the time I say no. Well, there you go. There would be a discrepancy with that one. Let's just say there are times I've said no where I haven't wanted to, because whatever it is with chocolate on it looks so darn good. <laughs> but you know, thinking through this, when it comes to fine print, really this isn't fine print, again, this is red print, for those of you who have read their Bible. It says, whoever loses what they... We've got to really think this through. Yeah, you know, we went through uh, Francis Chan's book a ways back, and obviously this is the uh, miniature version of what he did, but that's life right now, and this is kind of like we have in Christ for eternity if we're willing to surrender. And really thinking through that, oh man, yeah, you may lose, you may have a chip. And this is ultimately how we think, but God thinks differently. It's not what we're giving up that He wants, it's what He wants to give us. See, the games are so much greater, they're so much more worthwhile. What you will pass on to your kids. I mean, isn't that one huge? I mean, I remember as a non-Christian, being able to get fired up about all the money I was making. In fact, I could come home and throw whatever my kid wanted out of the way of toys. I was so blind to the fact that I did not have a relationship with my son from the age of two to five. All it was was about me bringing him home toys so that I didn't have to contend with him when he wanted to play with dad. Mm-hmm. That was life control for me. Would it be so much greater than something worthwhile to your friends? Family. It's valuable. What God has for us so exceeds what we may be called up to give. And then we gain peace, integrity, trust, freedom, freedom from shame. Life gain is full of hope. Rest relationship, broken marriages repaired, purpose, endless possibilities in this life. Now, that's it. That's that all. Friends that won't turn their backs on you, are willing to die for you and to help you, help you become that man or woman that you want to become. If you ever have to facilitate on your own, you know why? We're not called to be We're not called to be on our own. That's okay. God, we've got a relationship. So then I see no, no, if this is not going to help you right now. Right. You understand the power. Jesus understood the night before he died. What do you pray for? Unity among believers. I think ultimately with that, we have the ability to help each other get to heaven. I think this is the fine print that most people necessarily. You know, following Christ, yeah, you might lose something, might be something valuable. Bottom line, I mean, any of you who've been around on this planet for more than 15, 20 years know this one. There are things that you put value on that you thought you'd be able to cling to for the rest of your life, and it's gone. When you get any, what would the cost that you incurred by going down the road that maybe you should have done that? Now I said earlier, Jesus invited unbelievers to follow. We're all invited to follow. Everyone here, you're invited to follow. 
But there's something you need to know about following Jesus. It will cost you something eventually. It costs you money, career, career Often than not, when it comes to these things that I know aren't good for me, I'm going to deny self. But then there are those areas where it gets a little fuzzy. But we all know. Is there anybody here that doesn't know what it means to deny self this morning? Has everybody here had to do that at one point in time or another? Let me see hands. I mean, that's, that's a good 90, 95% of the group. So we get that. So we know what it means to deny self. Deny yourself simply means you say no to yourself. Here's something I want. But I don't think that's the best for me, so I'm going to say no to me and yes to Jesus. A couple of options that I think we need to understand this morning. When we look at situations, we can look at them one of two ways. This is fun. This is going to please me. This looks cool, so I want to do it no matter what. Or, number two... It's going to be more beneficial, more healthy for me if I say no to me and yes to Christ. You know, there's going to be a time. There are going to be those moments in your life, those forks in the road, those intersections, those paths, where Jesus is going to direct your attention to where he wants you to go. What Jesus wants for you may be a lot different than 
what you want for you, it's going to be different. In that moment, what that calls you to is a decision. You will have to decide if you're going to be a consumer or a follower. How many of you, and this is just rhetorical right now, but I want you to kind of think this through. How many of you can remember a time where you denied yourself of something you really wanted? It was in the way of a job, a relationship, an opportunity, a move. And with that, how many of you looking back are grateful that you put God first with that hindsight that you now have? Well, the hands are going up on that one. That's the kind of God we serve. You know, the religious leaders during the time of the Messiah were very challenged by Jesus' calling. Talked about that a little bit earlier. Their power, their authority, their money, everything that was about them, their status in the community was being overshadowed by what Christ was calling everyone to. And like many of us today, they liked the immediate gratification they got from the particular posture, the stance that they had in life as those leaders. You know, when they went to worship and all the stuff that they wore and the acknowledgement that they, they got and how they were viewed. But ultimately, they were nothing more than self-righteous. I could quote scripture from memory. I'm a member of the synagogue. But they weren't living it. They weren't true followers. You know, for example, the Sadducees constantly took Jesus to task. They're always trying to trap him. They didn't like who he hung out with or where he hung out or where he came from or how he served others. You know, Sadducees didn't even believe in life after death. And that's why they were sad, you see. I had to go there, I'm sorry. (laughs) At least I got a chuckle and I didn't get a bunch of blank stares back, so I'm feeling a little bit better about life here. You know, uh, Barna, this institution that takes a look at religion throughout the United States, there's a uh, study that they did that shows that 97% of all Americans believe. They're believers. They believe in an afterlife. And when we look at that, and we look at America, is America living for now or later? I mean, our current generation is so about entitlement expectation that they should have already arrived in life. Why? This is all going to burn. It's all going to be gone. Not that you shouldn't excel, but seriously, what are we building for? What are you living for now or later? You know, Mark 8, 37, or 36 through 37, it reads, For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? Think about this for a moment. You've gone on and you've lived the most awesome, incredible, over-the-top life ever. You know, you've got the uh, 9,000 square foot mansion, five-car garage, you've got your Ferrari, your Lamborghini, your Tesla. You know, you've got to do something for the environment in that mix, right? You've got... Stables full of the most coolest cars on the face of the planet. More money than you know what to do with. Got your own private jet. You can go anywhere you want to go, whenever you want to go, eat wherever you want to. You know, hey, how do you feel about seafood tonight? Okay, let's fly to Fiji. You know, there's people that live like that. But Jesus does a great job of summarizing things here, I think. What if at the end of the most awesome life ever... 
you would lose or forfeit your soul. Maybe your wife's soul. Maybe your kid's soul. What can or would you give up at that point in time for your soul? I think right here, verse 37, what can a man give in exchange for his life? Well, Jesus laid it on out as to what we can do. What would you be willing to give up? Massive possessions. Everything you could possibly dream of or want. And what if it suddenly dawned on you because of a visitation from an angel? This is hypothetical here. Angel shows up on that dying day. Says, look, kind of blowing it. Would you be willing to give it all up at that point in time? I think most of us faced with that decision, we know what the answer would be. It'd be yes. I mean, you think about it with the wealthy, the, the amount of money that goes into health care. I, I've got a stepbrother who has a daughter that's got a very, very rare disease. Her mom, they're billionaires, her mom flew all over Europe looking for a cure for her daughter because the pharmaceutical companies wouldn't take it on because it's such a small percentage of the population. But that's what she was willing to do for her daughter. That's what I love about Jesus. Right then, Jesus asked you in that moment, what would you trade? And this is such a great question. In the moment, what would you trade? What would you trade to get your soul back? What would you trade so you wouldn't have to forfeit your soul and spend eternity in hell? Oh, there it is. I said it. I mean, it boggles my mind today, even when it comes to what we know the Bible talks about. Hell's a word that, for whatever reason, within the religious community has almost become non-existent. And there are preachers out there that preach, we don't have to worry about it, there is no hell. And I'm thinking to myself, what Bible are they reading? But I think we all know the answer to that question. If we were given that opportunity, what would you trade? You would trade everything you have. You would trade it all. I don't think any of us would sit down to that negotiating table. You know, Jesus in that moment, he answered both questions. What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? It's no good. And we know at that time we'd get it. But we're called to get it now. We're called to apply it to our lives now. Those of you that are afraid to follow Jesus, those of you who are afraid of what you might have to give up, what it's going to look like, those of you who are afraid that you're going to have to say no to self, in this moment, you would have made a remarkable discovery about the value of your soul. I guarantee you the people that heard this after the resurrection understood this. Our souls are the greatest thing that we own. Our soul is greater than all your things. You know, whatever you give up to follow Jesus, bottom line is, going to have to give it all up anyway. The thing that's so awesome right here, right now, is that we have an opportunity to give it up in such a way that it impacts the destination of our future, of our own very own soul. And all you got to do is go back through and read those verses on your own again here. Eight, Mark 8, 34 through 7, 37. How did Jesus' words challenge you? In what ways do they give you comfort? Are you maybe currently right now being nudged to do something, quit something, start something, or give something up? You know, we've got some of you in this group this morning that started reading the Bible. Studying with friends. 
You've put it on hold. Why? I guarantee it's not because you don't understand the passage. It's because you're more willing to hang on to what you got right now than you are willing to embrace Christ and what Christ has called you to. Why? Have you really found something worth holding on to that you're willing to forfeit your soul for? Finish what you started and quit putting God on hold. You know, we have consumers that were coming out to this very church that when they saw this and they studied it out and they talked about the people that were involved with them, they asked, what do I have to give up not to forfeit my soul? And the thing that's so cool about that, I remember being in that position back in 1990 as a non-Christian, thinking I had some knowledge of life, and I'll never forget this Bible talk where we were just asked basic questions, and I was raised in a major denominational church for the first 13 years of my life, and all these concepts were taught. You know, what was the fruit in the Garden of Eden? What was the day, or what time of day was the Red Sea parted? Uh, how many wise men were at the manger? What were the nationalities of the wise men at the manger? On and on and on and on. There were 10 of them. I answered them all. 100% I got them all right. You know, it's funny. My wife and I are wired a little bit differently. Same situation. We got every single one of them wrong. Why? Never really paid any attention to fine print, or in this case, the Word of God, the Bible. And Jesus has a concern for those of us that maybe aren't willing to follow. And he lays it out, verse 38, says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. You know, we've all potentially run into this from time to time where we've claimed that we're a Jesus follower and then something comes up. Well, you know, I I need you to work on Wednesday nights or I need you to work on Sunday. And all of a sudden, we're not a follower anymore. There are challenges, different things that, you know, maybe somebody has an issue with you and they accuse you of something because you're a Christian. And we know where that response can go. We saw how Peter responded when he was in the midst of it. All right, you remember Peter's response early on in Jesus' ministry? I'll never be ashamed. I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you call me to do, Lord. And then we have a middle school girl that comes up to him. Probably somebody like Taylor Cable coming up to you and saying, weren't you with him? I know you were. I saw you. You were with him. And what was Peter's response? No, I was not what you're talking about. He starts freaking out. Because he was accused of being a follower of Jesus. And in that moment, he was anything but. The thing I love about Christ is the response that we see with Jesus' interaction with him towards the end of his ministry. Totally forgiven Peter. Peter was given the keys to usher in the kingdom. The responsibility was something that Jesus put on him well before the denial, well before all this stuff played out. But it was amazing that degree of forgiveness Then again, after Acts 2, what we see Peter go on to do once he has a real understanding of what Jesus had come for. You know, the moral of the story here is a good one. Salvation is free. Amen? In this world of anything but free stuff. 
Salvation is free. It will cost you absolutely nothing. Following Christ in this life will cost us everything. Type it with the screen. But following Christ will ultimately cost us everything. You know, thinking this through, somewhere in this journey, in this moment, in this generation, this life, you will feel as if it's a moral imperative. Your conscience will come alive. If I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I can't go here. I can't stay there. I can't participate in this. I can't take that job. I can't take this position. I can't take that raise. It will be hard, and it may even feel like at that moment it's not the right decision. It may feel like you're giving up a dream. You know, I always dreamed, uh, what? You guys fill in the blank. I mean, we've all had dreams. Some of those dreams maybe have never materialized. Then uh, that opportunity, uh, opportunity comes, I may have to die to that dream. If I move forward with this decision, am I a consumer or a follower? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. If I'm going to be a Jesus follower, a true Christian, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, like the Bible talks about, it's not made up of religiosity, religion, or the so-called American Christian. True Christians following Christ there's going to be those defining moments during your life. If you decide to say no to you and yes to your Savior, you'll find out in that moment, if you say no to yourself and yes to your Savior, you'll find out whose you are. Not just a consumer, but a follower. Say no to me or say yes to Jesus. You know, for some of us, this may seem kind of agonizing, maybe a little bit scary. It's emotional. So we've got to really check our hearts and where we're at and what we really want to do for eternity. And as agonizing as this, I pray and hope this for all of you. I know for me, when I was mentored on the scriptures, there was a major fear of the unknown. One of the big ones was, will I lose who I am? I don't know why, but that was, so like I become some kind of a robot or something, uh, totally detached, just, you know, Stepford wife, Stepford husband kind of thing. I mean, it really kind of freaked me out because I thought I sort of kind of liked who I was. I, you know, some of those character traits are probably okay that carried over, but it was a huge change in my life. You know, or heaven forbid I become a religious person because all my issues with religious people without looking at myself. You know, I was asked to go into the ministry, not necessarily a, a career path I would have chosen for myself. Wasn't my dream. I wanted to be a veterinarian. You know, I love dogs. Dogs love me. There's my little baby at home. You know, there's huge advantages to dogs. I mean, Christ, but there will be those times where you're going to have to say no. You know, 2007, I was let go from what was probably the most incredible secular dream job that I could have ever had, which that was managing Hummer and Cadillac up in Thousand Oaks. Made more money than I ever made. Incredible lifestyle, but 
as in 2007, as you know, the economy started to tank. There were issues. People weren't taking out the home equity loans to buy the H2s or the caddies anymore. So my boss seemed to think by me working longer hours that would, it would facilitate the drop-off we'd had. When I went there to work, I made it very clear, I need my Wednesday nights, I need my Sundays. They wanted me to work Wednesday nights, I resigned. It was an easy decision, and we went through some challenging times. It's been a lot of things that have been given up through the years. You know, with that whole situation, I moved to Denver. We was going to move the whole family to Denver. It was interesting. The other day, I was thinking back through about where I'd be today if I was still managing Medved Chevrolet. You know, it was as I passed my new 2016 Corvette. But it's just stuff. And it gave me pause to what I've had as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what my life looks like today, the benefits of being a disciple, the purpose-driven life that I live, the ability to make a difference in other people's lives. God is awesome. Amen, church? Salvation is free. It won't cost you. Or it won't cost you anything for salvation. And we see that Jesus is willing to give it all up. Following Christ will cost you everything. When you embrace that understanding, that moment comes, you will do the right thing. Some of you right now have an email or a phone call that you're waiting to return. Some of you have a response to a Bible study where your actions need to really match the claims that have come out of your own mouth. Some of you love money and love being a consumer rather than a follower. Quit being stingy with God. Give your offering. Give your special missions contribution. Give of your time. Give in kids' kingdom. Give in all the various areas that you can serve, both here in the church and in the community. Some of you may need to give someone an answer this week, and your conscience bothers you right now. You're torn. Since you acknowledged a little bit earlier as we went through that passage, wouldn't we be willing to give it all up if we knew we were going to forfeit our soul? Wouldn't we? You know, Brian preached on it last week. Followed Jesus into the waters of baptism and put Jesus on, clothed in Christ. It's not, it's not a coincidence that we're talking about this today. In the future, this will be your story. The story that you tell, your story. I was studying the Bible and I realized I could do it. I can pray instead of get drunk. I could surrender, give up control, my way for Christ's ways. Oh, I was a Christian and I was following Jesus, doing the best I could ever do. And then there was this situation. I was faced with that fork in the road and I couldn't say no to me. Or I was able to say no to me. I had to tell Jesus no. I decided to say yes to Jesus. Whatever it is, there's going to be a story that you'll be able to tell. You know, we think about the crowd that day as Jesus kind of laid these things out. After they'd been fed the thousands of loaves, the fish, and you know they scattered. What happened to the crowd who said no in that moment? What happened to them? You know, we don't really see the specifics there in the gospel. Jesus had risen from the dead. I'd be willing to bet you that if they'd known that at that time and what was going to take place, they would have thought differently about their approach and they would have been willing to give everything up to follow. See, refusing to follow will cost you. It'll cost you a lot more, much more, more than you could ever begin to imagine here today and for eternity. 
And I want to redefine the fine print for you right here. We're going to close this out. If we look at the word just fine, I think it really applies to Jesus' word. Fine is defined as of superior or best quality, of high or highest grade, fine wine, choice, excellent, or admirable. I believe that definition totally applies to the words of Christ. And they're not fine print. They're not hidden. They're not ambiguous. They're not hard to see. Jesus' word is the finest print, superior, the highest grade, excellent, admirable, and they will last for eternity. John 12, 48, Jesus is kind of laying this on out when it comes to the word and who he represents, his God and his Father in heaven. He says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. That needs to be sobering. But for each and every one of us, if we're willing to apply that fine print, that red print, those words of Christ to our life, that isn't where it will end. I mean, we'll all face judgment, but we'll be able to face that judgment confidently knowing that I was a true follower. I wasn't a consumer. My life is my banner. My life plays that out. It'll be obvious to not only those around me, but on judgment day, we're going to hear what you hear me say over and over and over again because it's the words that I long to hear. And that's well done, good and faithful servant. See, if we're willing to be surrendered to him, to be baptized into him, and to be a follower of him and not a consumer, you and I will last with him for eternity. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Christ in this life will cost you everything. But isn't your soul worth it? Let us choose to be true followers. Bow our heads and pray for the bread and the wine. Father, thank you so much for the way you bless our lives. The fact that you give us the ability, the wherewithal to acknowledge you, to understand who you are. And uh, even as we've just celebrated the 4th of July, to live in a country where we have the freedom to meet in large groups. We have the freedom to, to preach your word, to read your word, that we can carry a Bible without being concerned about potentially even being killed for it. And persecution is not too far removed what went on in the first century. Father, be with us right now for those that, that may be holding on to the things they shouldn't be. Help them to really envision what took place 2,000 years ago for them personally. The body that was nailed to a cross, the body that was beaten, the body that bled, the body that ultimately died, but knowing that as you led a sinless life, Jesus, death would not have a hold on you. Help us to always remember that. Help us to be grateful for that. For when God sent Jesus to us, for us, it was when we were at our worst. But that wasn't something that was held against us. But the way that we lived was something we were asked to give up. Father, I love you. Again, thank you for Jesus. Help us to reflect on what he represents to each one of us personally as we participate in the communion. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.